Hello, this episode is part two of my conversation with Jeff Dow, who's a bushfire consultant with Ember Bushfire Consulting. In this episode, I'm going to be talking more with Jeff about building and renovating in bushfire prone areas or on land that has a bushfire overlay. And specifically, we're going to be discussing how to manage either a BAL 40 or a BAL flame zone rating. So they're the two highest bushfire attack level ratings that you can have on your property. We're also going to understand more about distances to vegetation, sprinkler systems, and some of the other strategies that you can use when building well in these areas. Plus, there's other info that I know that you'll find super helpful. Now, if you haven't listened to part one, pause this podcast podcast, make sure you head back and do that now. We'll be here when you get back. Otherwise, let's dive into part two now. Welcome to Get It Right with the Undercover Architect. This is the podcast all about designing, building or renovating your home. I'm your host, Amelia Lee. Think of me as your secret ally. I am on a mission to help you create a home that makes your life better whoever you're working with and whatever your dreams, your location or your budget. Together we'll uncover the nitty gritty of how to get it right and how to create a home that works, feels great and that you feel great in. So join me now. Welcome to season 12 of the Get It Right podcast called Rebuild and Build Better. This season includes a range of conversations with some fantastic experts and professionals, and we're diving into a range of topics related to rebuilding after bushfires, building or renovating in bushfire-prone areas, and more generally, designing and building more resilient homes. This season of the podcast has been inspired by one of our Undercover Architect course members who has over 20 years experience in disaster recovery and saw the need, given our recent summer bushfires in Australia, for a resource to help people rebuilding their homes after bushfire. He's been a great help to me in connecting me with information and people I can now share with you. You can see video versions of all of our interviews, as well as get a copy of the full transcripts, plus loads more helpful resources for your journey on the Undercover Architect website. Head to www.undercoverarchitect.com forward slash rebuild for all the info you need to rebuild and build better. Now let's get on with the episode. So as I said earlier, Jeff Dow is a bushfire consultant with Ember Bushfire Consulting. Ember Bushfire Consulting are a team of qualified, accredited and experienced fire industry professionals. And they're all accredited bushfire consultants under the Fire Protection Association of Australia accreditation scheme. It's really essential that when you're looking for a bushfire consultant that you find somebody who's accredited. And I've popped a link to the Fire Protection Association of Australia's website in the resources so that you can look for somebody in your area who is properly accredited. Now, co-founder of Ember Bushfire Consulting, Jeff Dow, has had over 23 years experience as a professional in the fire services industry. He has a Bachelor of Applied Science in Environmental Science and two graduate diplomas being Fire Safety Engineering and Bushfire Protection. Ember Bushfire Consulting takes a whole-of-life approach, offering consulting services for all stages of development. This includes a range of consulting services focused on assessing new development and construction on bushfire-prone land and prescribing bushfire protection measures to minimise the potential impact of bushfires on life and property. Now, Ember services local government areas across the Central Tablelands, Southern Tablelands, Snowy Mountains, Southwest Slopes and South Coast in New South Wales. All of these areas were really heavily impacted by the Black Summer fires across 2019-2020 in Australia. Uh, even if you're not in these areas, though, Jeff's advice is going to be super helpful for you. So let's hear more from Jeff now. Now, with these um, bushfires, we saw a rate of spread 
and um, we saw Ember attacks, I suppose, in ways that people hadn't necessarily experienced before. Can we talk through, um, you mentioned some of the research that Justin Leonard at the CSIRO has been doing, just in terms of what their impact might be for rebuilding in some of these areas and understanding how to build more resiliently around dealing with that rate of spread and those Ember attacks? So what I might do is I'll, I'll connect um, the, now the construction with those bow levels. So at, at bow 12.5 and bow 19, we're predominantly looking at Ember attack. There's a bit of a radiant heat there, and that um, I, I sort of missed that point is that uh, the, the bowel rating is a, a measure of radiant heat flux in kilowatts per square metre, um, which is just basically um, to give you an idea, five kilowatts per square metre is a um, you know a, a human can withstand it for a very short period of time. Uh, Ten kilowatts, uh, a firefighter in full PPE can withstand that for a very very short period of time. Beyond that, it then escalates. At, at, at Bell 29, we have, um, uh, sorry, at 29 kilowatts and above, we have unpiloted ignition of uh, like timber. So it means just through radiant heat alone, you'll get something that will combust. So how that then ties in is um, Bell 12.5 and, and 19 are predominantly to deal with ember attacks. So we're screening windows, et cetera. So at those level, lower levels, that's the expectation of um, the new dwelling would have uh, good ember protection. Um, there will be some other parts, obviously, uh, largely non-combustible, although there are a number of timbers that can be used at that level. At 29, a very select few of timbers, but we're now starting to see that radiant heat. So, um, as I said, a, a bushfire will, will pull apart a, a structure through ember attack, through radiant heat, and then through flame contact. So at 29 and 40, we've got pure radiant heat, which is the, the, the dominant factor there. And then um, above 40, we're starting to actually get flame impingement. So we're getting um, the structure is immersed in, in flame. And obviously, that's the, the highest level. So I think um, to, to answer the question, a lot of these places may come in the higher uh, ratings. Uh, and then that's obviously going to, to, um, to prescribe those, those, higher, um, those higher levels. There's a cost associated with that. And this will be, this will be a challenging time for, for councils, for homeowners, so where once was, uh, and I, I'm, I'm probably speaking of like Rosedale, there was the, the you know the beautiful beach shack um, uh, that was sort of made out of um, you know uh, some sort of fibro. They find the site now is a bow 40 flame zone, then then obviously there's going to be a decision point there. And I don't, I, I the, the the story from 2009 was that some some sites, you know, not many, but some sites were were very difficult to rebuild. But uh, uh, yeah, that'll be the the challenge. I think the the, the good news here is that uh, because this has been underway for quite some time, or you know, the 39599 has been around for some time. There are more products uh, that are available. The price is coming down. It's more achievable. People understand the standard. Uh, and, and uh, yeah, it's becoming more and more doable at that higher end. But, but at the lower end, it's, it's pretty straightforward. I think the numbers that are thrown around uh, in terms of cost is that for a 12, you know, 12.5, 19, ember proofing, um, the glazing is, is, is kind of minimal. Um, you're looking at about ten, ten to fifteen thousand on top of a, you know, very standard build. Um, so I hope that's answered the question. Um, but that's that. That would be the expectation there. 
Yeah, I think that it's really um, it's really interesting to see, you know, before you and I, um, in our correspondence before we jumped on this interview, we were talking about how the Australian standards for construction, and this is the standards in most in most places around the world, they're the minimum that construction needs to adhere to. They're not like the gold standard. They're not the, they're not the best performance standard. They're the bare minimum of what a home needs to um, to be obviously a shelter. And it's really interesting to see homeowners becoming more and more informed about the need to actually exceed standards in order to have a functioning, performing, durable, long-lasting home um, that is comfortable and is going to last them for the decades that they want it to. So I'm seeing homeowners actually desiring to build beyond their standards because they understand that um, and many feel that we're kind of on the cusp of a realisation that these standards need to shift Um, and there's obviously pushback in other parts of the industry that um, makes that a little bit slow to happen but it's quite interesting to see um, how much this is being led by consumers saying look no actually I want something better for my home I, I want to protect myself and my family and my asset and I want to understand what's involved in that. So I think that, um, yeah, I think that that's, it's a really interesting thought to think, well, BAL 12.5, if it actually will protect your home from ember attacks and, and, and enable your home to be more resistant to ember attacks, then um, is that something that we should just be adopting? What's been your thoughts in terms of looking at distances to vegetation in areas that might not have necessarily bushfire overlays now? What what are your what's your sort of recommendation to people about looking at distances to vegetation and things like that, and perhaps considering a different standard for their home? So three nine five nine, rightly or wrongly, stops at a hundred meters. So where it says that you are within one hundred meters of this unmanaged or classified vegetation, then you adopt the standard. Beyond that, it says that uh, effectively you'd be bow low. It's just saying that there. It's not saying that there's no risk. It's just saying that there's a low risk and it it, it doesn't warrant any anything else. And that was done for. Um, uh, for, for a number of reasons, obviously, for, for cost. But um, through the work that uh, Justin Leonard has done, we, we can see that um, um, property destruction can happen. Certainly here in Duffy, it happened up to about 700 metres um, where there was uh, actual ember attack. Now, I'm not talking about spot fires. Spot fires are different things. We're talking about that, that um, shower of embers. There is a, a good argument for due diligence and just for looking after the asset to, to provide ember protection. I think ember protection, full stop, is just a really good thing to do for, for any Australian home. You've got um, some, some insulation benefits there. Uh, you've got the insect uh, you know, that keep the, the, the critters out as well. Um, the, the, the generally, the ember mesh is the, the, you know, the very rigid type. So you've got security benefits there as well. It just makes sense. Um, so I would suggest uh, even if you're beyond that, it's just and, – and you've got scope within your, your budget, then I would say go for about 4.5. It's just a really good fit um, for, for most Australian environments. Uh, even if you're in the city and, you, again, you're within, you know, three to 500 metres of, of, of bushland. We've got plenty of it here in Canberra. I live very close to, to Black Mountain. Uh, and it would be a very good fit for, for here. So those um, those things are really good. I, I just uh, will we'll pick up on a point as well. Three nine five nine is uh, is is all about passive protection. Uh, you mentioned over and over and above, or, or currently things that aren't captured by that. 
the minimum standard. Um, sprinklers are starting to come. The, the you know the uh, design, the development, the standards are getting better for that. Uh, I've seen firsthand um, the, the benefit that they can. They're tricky because then you have to get the timing right. I think where you've got um, town water supplies, then it just makes sense. Uh, and the, the the sprinkler system not only applies to the to the to the residents to the structure, but also this asset protection zone. Let's keep the asset protection zone moist as well. So you're using that to to really um, bolster the, the asset protection zone. Um, so I, I saw a property out at Carwoola where it just worked perfectly and, and listening to some of the other practitioners in this most recent um, fires, uh, yeah, there's been many, many cases where sprinkler systems have been. The, 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 um, the, the critics of, of um, uh, sprinkler systems would say, well, you're going to have these high winds. It's not, it's not going to really uh, do exactly what it would do, which is what you'd see inside you know, a, a building. It's a very controlled environment. Sprinklers work very well as a, um, a fire safety measure inside a building. It's a bit more dynamic, obviously, outside, a bit harder to control. We've got water supplies. So it does have to be thought out. But I, I think that's where we'll see some big improvements is, is with sprinkler systems uh, and, and things like, like bunkers as well. Yeah, the sprinkler systems is an interesting one. I was chatting about that with uh, an architect who was involved in the recovery after the Victoria 2009 fires and, you know, was involved in sort of the construction of temporary villages and things like that. And he actually mentioned how um, that he thought sprinklers would be a great solution. And at the moment, one of the challenges around them has been that a lot of them are manually operated so if you've had to evacuate your property and you haven't had the chance to turn them on prior um, or how yeah. they might be motorized as well whether it's with something that's combustible that that can be a challenge too and so he was sort of looking for some type of solution that they use in commercial properties where there's a heat sensor that then fires off the sprinkler system um, to be able to be implemented in residential properties I saw actually a blog of a of a house that had a sprinkler system on it um, in the Canberra region that managed to survive the fires but the sprinklers actually didn't get activated because he had to evacuate the property prior so um, but the the property still withstood the fires because of a range of other solutions that they'd um, that they'd activated but that sprinkler one is an interesting one isn't it because you kind of feel well at least it would give you know winds aside all of those kinds of things at least I would give the property an additional layer of additional yeah, exactly Exactly, and I think there is a great benefit of it. There's lots of innovation that's starting to occur, you know, particularly where you've got uh, connection to, you know, to the to, to the internet and whatnot. Um, there's some, uh, there's a fellow um, not far out of Goulburn. He's got systems that will actually trigger based on the FDI, but he's got he's also got remote um, trigger systems. What's the FDI? Um, oh well, so um, my understanding is that the system, sorry, the fire danger index. So we were talking about this earlier. Um, what we tend to see the fire danger index is uh, is also related to the fire danger rating. Um, uh, FDI 100 is obviously near the catastrophic end of things. Um, severe kicks in about uh, FDI 50. Um, anyway, he's got this system that will set up uh, when the FDI reaches a certain number. It just comes on. Um, so there's much research that's been done uh, that indicates that we can get property loss at FDI 40 and above. Now, again, giving you the scale, it's, it's zero to 100. Um, today, it's probably about FDI 15, 20 here in Canberra. Um, but in the more elevated um, uh, conditions, it gets right up to 100. 
um, the point was he had this uh, sprinkler system set up so that it just triggered when it got to within that range where you can get destructive fires and it, it just ran. It didn't matter. Um, and, and obviously he had to top up his water supply or whatever, but it was it was on the go. So, yeah, the, the, the point is that there's many innovate, and I, I, we're going to see more and more, and I think this is the positives to such events is that we see great innovation, we see great ideas coming forward, uh, and I, I would suspect that we'll see more, and demand as well, as you said, let's not just go for the baseline. Give me more, give me more, and, and it's out there, yeah. Yeah, no, I think that's fantastic. And it, it is, it's really exciting as we start to see how much more automation we can put into our homes and the things that we can access remotely to be able to protect yourself, your family, you know, take what you can and then trust the care of your property to the systems that you've put in place, the protection mechanisms that you've created a, around the property and the access that you can provide the RFS to it. Um, you know, then I think that, yeah, they're, they're much they're much better solutions than you standing there. So there were so many stories of people staying to defend their properties and putting their own lives in huge amounts of risk um, as a result. And you can understand, you know, when you've lived in a home and you've got not only a financial investment there, but a significant emotional attachment, why people stay. And some people, they just left it too late. So it's, yeah, it's, it's, um, I think it would be fantastic to see these innovations come through that enable us to manage risk around people needing to stay and take care of their properties um, and instead being able to, to leave. And the challenging thing is that a lot of the properties that are in these areas that were affected were built prior to any of this legislation coming in. So I feel like there's going to be this great big kind of shift as all of construction kind of catches up with the current legislation and then as a as a kind of community and a population, we're perhaps better um, in a better position to manage these types of situations in the future. I, I can imagine you get a lot of pushback from people saying, oh, it's just going to be so much more expensive. Do I seriously need to do this? Particularly if a BAL 40 or a BAL flame zone rating comes in, that can be a horrendous shock to people when they start to see what that might mean. How do you talk through clients in terms of, I know that you've had a client who had a property that didn't have a building on it that went through the recent fires and they're now kind of considering how are they going to actually build on that property to to be better uh, to be better performing how do you kind of once you deliver your assessment how do you talk through clients that process of okay this is the scenario but this is actually the opportunity so i think the hardest part is is that um when i look at a site i see a particular i try very much try to visualize what it's like on a bad day uh, and trying to relay that to to the client and they obviously, what's the, th you know, what is the threat? I don't see any threat here. You know, like it's, it hasn't burned in 50 years. It's not going to burn again. So that's, you know, they're, they're not seeing what I see. Um, and that's often the hardest part of it. Uh, even in like in a grassland setting, you know, it's a, it's an empty paddy for goodness sakes. But we know that grass fires, um, can, can still be very, very destructive, very dangerous. So that's the first part is that, you know, you know, why do I have to do this? Um, I think that argument now is becoming less and less. Like we can just see that we're we're vulnerable, uh, and more and more areas are, are are vulnerable. So that's uh, that's less hard. But what what I do try to do, obviously, again, if there's opportunity to to move, and this is again the the planning system working, push you to areas where it's uh, a lower bow rating, so it's safer. Uh, it's also uh, less less to build. So that's that's the that's the the response. Luckily, the the, the places that I've, I've assessed where they haven't built yet, 
um, that that bow rating is wasn't um, wasn't that that high. The the trick will be, as I said, in these spots where it was always flame zone, it, uh, the house is 40, 50 years old uh, or older, and now they have to rebuild. But I, I think if it's been burnt out, then the argument you know speaks for itself. I think. But it, it is going to be very hard, you know, just being straight up. It's going to be hard for some people um, to, to, to deal with that, that, um, that 40 and flame zone and, and also councils, whether they let, you know, let, um, let people rebuild. But I don't think that that's going to be the case. Um, you know, Rosedale will still continue to be built, but they'll, they'll, have to, they'll have some pretty tough ones there. But what I would say is that it is what it is um you know let's don't try to duck and weave and it's when we duck and weave um that it ends poorly from a from a planning and a da point of view because that they can they can see that you're trying to avoid that um and uh, the council doesn't want to you know sort of have a, a have a bar that they don't want to have uh, ownership in in under you know under constructing or building in places that you probably shouldn't build don't be fearful of it. Get good advice, um, and then you know, and listen to that advice as well. But don't. I think as soon as we start to avoid, then that's when you start to run into trouble, or or put it on the shelf. Oh, we'll deal with that later. That's when it really hurts, um, because then you you have to retrofit all that design that you've had that hasn't taken into account. It's all of a sudden you know you're going to lose all your timber facade or your timber deck. It's gone. So get in early. Yeah, and I think that's the key thing, isn't it? That if you actually understand these um, these assessments and ratings up front early and can factor them into your design process, then it's not a budget shock down the track. It's actually creating a different strategy. And I think that's going to be key for rebuilding in a lot of these areas that you're not necessarily just replicating what you had before, but you're actually using it as an opportunity to strategize something different and something that's much more resilient can you perhaps just with the bow 40 and the bow flame zone, the bow left said, could you just talk through some of the detail of what that can mean for the construction of a property? And also, I suppose, other strategies that can come into play. You touched on bunkers. Um, I had heard that somebody was able to, um, uh, in a recent project, they were able to include a bunker and that gave them some leeway in the construction of the property itself. How how is how can Bow Forty and Bow um, Flame Zone be, I suppose, approached? Um, and what kind of strategies can you use to get good results in those in those kind of um, uh, ratings of areas? Well, I think the first thing is that um, so about forty and flame zone, absolutely no combustibles at all. So timbers off off the off the shelf altogether. Uh, uh, that said, you can you can use like mod wood um, for for decking um, and any number of other other products that that um, you know still are, are reasonably visually appealing. Um, so that's I guess that's the the first thing. As I said, there's more and more products that are becoming available. Um, and then flame zone, it gets up there. One of the recent changes has been um, the shutters. Um, so in 3959, if you um, you can, in uh, certainly New South Wales, you can use shutters. So you can go for a good traditional sort of window set uh, if it's um, it's protected by um, by a uh, you know appropriately um, rated shutter. So that opens up some opportunities, and I can kind of hear people saying, "Well, yeah, but the shutters are ugly." Yes, but there are ways of you know putting it within the reveal. There's, there's there are um, you know there are design there are 
techniques. So there are ways to, to, to address that. So there's a little thing there. You said shutters can, and that can also reduce the, the price, particularly if you're in the flame zone area. There, 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 there's some uh, some benefit there. Um, going on to so that's that's the, the the 40 in flame zone. Going on to the bunkers. Bunkers is uh, uh, it's a, an area of of, of kind of new work. There's only recently a standard that come that came in. At the moment, I can only speak to New South Wales. I know in Victoria, where um, from what I heard through the industry, is that where you were flame zone, if you put in a, a bunker that was built to the standard, uh, then you could possibly come down a bell rating. Um, so that, I think that they do. Again, I think there'll be more. There'll be improvement here. New South Wales RFS are kind of not sold on it. They they. Certainly not opposed to the idea, but it, 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 from my understanding, it's not going to get you any concessions. Um, that said, that you know, I think that personally, I think they're a great idea. Um, there was uh, a, a client down in Smiths Road, uh, down in the, the the area adjacent to the ACT. Great, you know, quite an impressive story. That the owner of that property had survived, or and hadn't, well, they had survived the 2003 bushfires. Their property didn't. Um, and rather than becoming fearful of it, and I think obviously this took some time, they moved out to the bush. We were in a very bushfire-prone area, but didn't that didn't let them? It didn't put them off. They accepted the you know accepted the threat, um, and 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 put a bunker in. And they just they had everything in place. They knew that they were going to leave early. But the fact that they did that, they rather than I guess running away from this, going you know what. For 10 years, this place is going to be beautiful, beautiful every day of the week, you know, and we're going to enjoy this. But if the inevitable does happen at, at some stage, then we do have a plan B, which was this bunker. And I was very impressed by by that attitude, and I think that's it was quite cheap too. I think it was between 10 and 15 grand, and you know that's a fantastic insurance policy. Um, and their road was about 20k out. It's one way in, one way out. So it is a bushfire, you know, a bushfire prone area, and also many access issues there. So I, I think, again, to to the question, I think bunkers you will see more in this space, and with a hope uh, that um, that that they may they may offer some concession to these Bow 40 flame zone areas, um, and that's where we hope. But RFS are always sort of adjusting. Um, uh, they do in time so yeah yeah I think yeah. it'll be interesting I it was a report that I'd read after the 2009 Victorian fires that had mentioned that 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 thing of somebody was then rebuilding and they were a bow flame zone and they were told that yeah they could spend fifteen thousand dollars on installing a bunker to standard and then lower the house to bow forty um, and uh, it was going to save them about eighty thousand dollars overall because to make the house bow flame zone was a significantly bigger investment than putting the bunker in and dropping it to bow forty so it will be interesting to see if these strategies there's a lot of contention I hear around bunkers but I think it's because we have so many that are kind of just DIY built things that are mold ridden are not properly ventilated are not actually fireproof at all end up being traps for people so I think that actually to create some legislation around how they're constructed and what they need to be the standard that they need to be built with in order to be a, an offset measure could actually be a huge opportunity to to have holistic kind of solutions to um, to dealing with construction in these areas. So it'll be really interesting, won't it? Yeah, I think so, and I think that's 
the good that comes out of these these not so good events, you know, is that there's, there's these improvements. So, yeah, it would be good good to see. Now, you do a lot of work with uh, subdivisions and helping developers understand um, better, I suppose, subdivision strategies and those types of things in bushfire-prone areas. How can some of that work that you do help communities understand how to build better resilience around their holistic kind of performance in these types of situations? So that's the that's I guess that's the good news again how um, uh, this bushfire protection is influencing the way that we plan. So bushfire protection very much is a is a planning issue. It's not a construction issue. If we're dealing with it at the construction side of things, then something's been missed. Just because you can build in flame zone doesn't mean that you should. Um, and so that obviously clearly. And I you know I, I'm again I'm on the side of Black Mountain here. I, my residence is probably about forty. Uh, although it was built in the 60s, so there's no chance. So, you know, we're, we're very much um, leave early. There's no no hanging around here on a bad day. Um, and so what our, our our property looks like is we're, we're backing straight onto reserve. There's just no there's no setback. There's no nothing. There's no level of protection at all. No construction, but no no um, no setback. So what we see in the in particularly in Canberra and, and seeing uh, in New South Wales is that when these um, in new suburbs, they have to, by um, legislation, they have to get assessed and designed to consider bushfire now, which is great. So largely, we'll see um, uh, lots of edge roads. Great, that's a you know a, something that's never going to change. That's a beautiful thing in the APZ because it never really has to be managed. Um, and then some uh, along the easement, you'll have you know grassland and and whatnot. Um, you know, a small pocket of, of grassland. So that's the first thing I'll say is that the, the suburbs have been designed, that access, there'll be multiple points of access. So as a whole of community, they're much better. Water supplies take into consideration, you know, historically the water supply has been to deal with structure fires, the fires within the structure. Now that it's it's actually looking at um, what's what in the event of um, uh you know, a bush or a grass fire coming to the subdivision, these are now considered uh, there as well. Um, uh, and then obviously the, the management and maintenance of these these APZs, so that's going back to some sort of body corporate or whoever's running the subdivision now. So these areas are, are now managed on an ongoing basis. So that's um, that's that's how it's changing, which is great. So the, the ideal, the, the hope is, is in that in any new suburb, any new subdivision, you shouldn't have Bell 40 and flame zone properties because if it hasn't been, it shouldn't have been, it shouldn't have been accepted at that that BR level, and that's what RFS is. So that's a lot of my work is to make sure that there is no dwelling, no building envelope that is um, susceptible to, you know, is um, uh, subject to a Bell 40 or flame zone rating. So hopefully we've got that right. Uh, and then 29 is a, um, is a is a good build in terms of the the, the cost. Uh, and, and material selection. So that's what I'd say in, in the, plan, uh, yeah, the planning space, even for a two-lot subdivision. Um, so property owners got a, a large lot, they want to break it down into two lots. Even that um, that new lot has to pass you know, a test, and that's what we go in. We take in planning for bushfire protection, uh, and we assess the access we access, you know, where, where they want to build, and we'll direct them on that as well. So... Yeah, that's what's happening in the planning space, and that's where it all does need to happen. So 
So that sounds incredibly sensible <laughs> in terms yeah, of yeah. in terms of an approach. Like just let's be preventative about this and uh, and proactive, yeah, rather than um, us just willy nilly um, subdividing and then letting the individual be the one who has to deal with the fallout of it. So that's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And that, that's the and that's that's a, a product of the 97-99 fires and, and and before in, in New South Wales. They said, you know what, we need to change this. Uh, and in 2000, 2006, planning for bushfire protection came in. It looked at construction, looked at all those elements that we talked about. Um, so I, I think we're getting it right. We are getting it right. And then, as I said, evidence is that the, the, the construction is getting better. So this this need not be... Bad news, you know. It's 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 actually we've got some positive news there, so we are we're making some changes here. So, oh, and I think that's it. Like I, I, what I've been, it's been really interesting. I've had the benefit of talking with people that were very closely involved in the recovery after the Victoria two thousand and nine fires, and then seeing them um, being called in to help with this recovery effort now, and um, the body of knowledge and experience being able to add to, I suppose, how people recover, how areas are going to recover, and uh, what actually is going to be a better strategy moving forward. There was a bit of criticism with the 2009 fires that people were just pushed, there was an urgency to rebuild and to try and get people kind of back to normalcy as soon as as they could possibly be. And so people were, I think, rebuilding. They were seen to be rebuilding potentially too soon for when they were ready. And, you know, and so it's, I think it's really encouraging to see that where there's a different approach happening this time and it's also being led by a different learning process that's happened in between these different you know these 2003 2009 fires um and what that might mean for planning moving forward because we're you know particularly down the eastern seaboard of Australia which is where you know, everybody was shocked to see the spread of the fires down that eastern seaboard, but that's also one of the de- most densest areas for population in Australia and the densest areas for uh, subdivision and for growth um, over the next 20 years. So it's great to see that this is all informing that process in terms of a planning approach. Yeah. Yeah, it's coming together. Now, there's been a, a, a conversation around should people even be allowed to rebuild in some of these areas? I know that a lot there's the, these areas that were affected, a lot of them are in your jurisdiction in terms of the areas that you service in your business. What's your thoughts around how you'll help clients who might be rebuilding after um, this kind of event to think about the strategies of rebuilding in these areas and whether it's a good decision in terms of um, what they do for their futures? Yeah, it's a hard one, you know, and, um, uh, you know, we've had uh, stay and defend uh, for a long time ever since, you know, and that's, that's I think, this is largely what's led to, you know, a lot of fatalities and the like, um, whereas in, say, United States, it, it, they, they get the National Guard in and they just evacuate everywhere. But you see massive property losses as well. There's been some really bad fires there in California, and you'll see whole subdivision is just gone and so it turns from a you know vegetation fire into this suburban conflagration like it's just property to property to property um so it would be the point is is it would be a shame to lose that that um that ability to to stay or to, to you know take that that decision away and so i think we're going to be holding on to that what that means then for for rebuilding is that um I think you know largely we should be allowed to 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 go back in, but because I, I think what's what is also happening is that now we've got this this 
um, because of these changes, we've got this other um, consideration in the thought process, exactly what we've just been talking about. The structure is now um, more resilient. We've, we've, you know, we've um, done all we can to improve the property. So I think that there's going to be, my point is that there's going to be less reliance on, um, you know, staying to defend. People are going to go, you know what, I've done a lot and I've done everything I could to prepare this property from, you know, from the outset when it was built. The APZs are good. I'm now much more comfortable to, to leave. So it would be a shame to just have this situation where people are um, forced um, to, to, to evacuate. Uh, and therefore and not allowed to, to build. Um, but uh, I, I think that, that we have this uh, this other element in there that now that 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 helps that only because we've got these these um, you know these new bushfire protection um, we've improved bushfire protection. I hope I've kind of answered that. Um, you know I, I think it, I, I can't see it happening where people won't be allowed to build back in. So in summary, what has changed is that we're now, perhaps more um, confident or positive that the, the structure, the, the home will survive. Therefore, that takes the pressure off on having to stay and defend and they can leave and leave early. So therefore, they should be able to, to, to build. I hope that answered the question. I sort of danced around there no, a bit. But, it does. Um, you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I think that's what's changed is we've got a now a new consideration. You know, if you've built to Balfour, you know, 29 and we've got the sprinkler system and we've got um, a really good APZ, APZ, you'll be, you know, far less uh, likely to, to stay. You're going to you know what, I'm going to leave. And I reckon my, ch- my house has got a good chance of surviving. So. Yeah, I think um, what the cha- the interesting challenge or the, the most, I suppose, the most confronting challenge for people is going to be is that um, the cost of rebuilding and rebuilding to that standard and whether that makes it unaffordable for people. I know that there's been fires that were a year prior um, to the most recent ones where a lot of those areas had become bowel flame zone in the time, you know, as, as legislation had been updated. And so the people that lost their homes that weren't, that were in these areas that then need to be re- rebuilt as bowel flame zone and they're either uninsured or underinsured um, is the challenge then of that cost to rebuild. And it's, um, it's that tricky balance, isn't it, between having strategies around uh, rebuilding to a code level that actually gives you that resilience and performance around your property, but then also being able to fund it and um, and have a continuing lifestyle with your family in that area. So there's a lot of puzzle pieces coming into play, but I think that you're right in terms of just saying to people a blanket, no, that place is no longer safe to live, you can't rebuild there is, um, is, uh, is not the is not the approach and we do have the the policies and the procedures in place to enable rebuilding it's um the affordability piece that might be the challenging one so yeah i was just going to say you know encouraged by to see how many people are leaving it would appear as though there are fewer and fewer people who are willing to to stay um because you know the, of the lessons of the past because of the a3s the o9s um uh, which had a huge um you know a huge fatality number of fatalities so i think people are learning as well they just you hear it on the you know on the on the tv when you uh, certainly over the last summer is that i'm i'm just going i'm i've done what i can i'm just going so i think that is happening more and that's that's you know a very good thing and hopefully it does support this idea that you know we'll go back the you know we'll do what we can to the house and to the home 
the most important thing is 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 life and we'll, we'll, we'll get out. Jeff, I can't thank you enough for all of the wisdom and knowledge that you've shared. I think that you've done a huge amount to um, clarify and uh, explain some things that are, can be incredibly, as I said up front, very bamboozling for homeowners who are dealing with this bushfire overlay or zoning on their property wherever they're located. You see that bow rating come through and it just uh, – that, and as I said earlier – it immediately goes to all of those construction material requirements and the detailing, but to understand that there, it's a there's the opportunity for a much more holistic approach. That asset protection zone can be so key. I think that um, really gives people some scope to think, okay, what's the total design solution that we're coming up with? And you can see the importance of um, having the expertise of a team member um, like yourself in terms of that bushfire practitioner to really help you navigate through that confidently is um, really essential to you coming up with an on-budget solution that's going to actually perform in the long term. So thank you so much for your time and your knowledge and your generosity. I really appreciate it. No problem. Yeah, it's been a pleasure, Mary. Thank Thanks, you. Jeff. Thank you very much. So that wraps up our conversation with Jeff Dow, Bushfire Consultant with Ember Bushfire Consulting. Now, you can also find my interview with Jeff on Undercover Architects' YouTube channel. I've actually broken it up into smaller sections to focus on specific topics and questions there. So if you just want to watch a little chunk, that's easy to do on the YouTube channel. And if you want to revisit any information, you can find loads of stuff on both the website and on our YouTube channel. Remember too that we've got the full transcript for this interview and all our other interviews in the Rebuild and Build Better series on the podcast. They're all available on the website as PDF downloads. So we've got you covered whether you like to listen, watch or read when researching about building and renovating in a bushfire prone area. And I also thought that if you know of somebody who is trying to rebuild after a bushfire who might not have access to internet, to, uh, you know, ready access to um, you know computers and those kinds of things that you'd be able to print out the transcripts and be able to send them to them very easily so that they can read them as a hard copy now make sure that you head to undercoverarchitect.com forward slash rebuild we've got all that we're sharing there in the rebuild and build better series bookmark it so that you can keep checking back on it because it's going to grow as an online hub for anyone who's rebuilding after bushfires or wanting to build better and more resilient homes and also, the Australian Standard AS3959 is actually free to download at the moment. It's the construction standards for building in bushfire prone areas. Not sure how long it's going to be available as a free download. So if you do want to grab that, go ahead and grab it now. I've got a link to that in the resources as well. In the next episode, you'll meet Julie Furkin. So Julie is an architect who actually has some great knowledge to share about bushfire home design. We're going to talk about a house design that she did that was included in the bushfire home service. Now, this was a scheme that was the Victorian government's response to the 2009 Black Saturday fires. It was actually a really amazing scheme and quite a different approach to supporting those that were rebuilding after bushfires, where they actually selected a range of architect-designed homes that were done specifically for those rebuilding and made them freely available as floor plans, elevations and uh, costings uh, so that anybody who was rebuilding could freely use these designs to be able to take forward in their project. So one, a Julie had a house that was in this bushfire home scheme. We're going to hear more about that design, why it was effective, why uh, it works as uh, an opportunity for rebuilding and also more about that home scheme because it's quite different to what the industry is doing now to support people when rebuilding. So I think it's a really interesting alternative uh, perspective. As always, thank you for tuning in and for letting me be your secret ally. Until next time, bye. Thank you.